0: The hut is spacious, with two separate sleeping areas closed off by doors, plus a large living area with benches and tables and a long metal cooking shelf. No wonder nobos or northbound hikers sung its praises when I passed them, calling this place the Hamilton Hilton Hut. We still can't quite keep the sandflies out, but most of us are pretty tired from the last days. Me too, even after taking a zero day but not too tired to wander up again to Mirror Tarn for a view down on the Harper River, its braids rushing along a wide, rocky bed below beach-covered mountains eroding in massive rock piles. No one's interested in joining me up there, all wanting to just lounge around the hut. The place is full with Kiwi, Dutch, English, and German, and this American— They all mentioned an odd note that was left asking for someone to call for emergency help, but the hut was empty when they arrived, so no one knows what it means. I'm sitting on the porch now, eating dinner, when a woman walks out of the woods, and I smile, saying, welcome. She doesn't smile back, and that's when I see her legs shredded and abraded, one knee twice the size of the other in an angry purplish black. Oh, my God, what happened? She's French and speaks very little English. She's the source of the note, a tramper all alone, injured and needing help. But why leave a note? And why leave it all? It's clear she's not going to be able to walk out of here. So someone sets off an SOS, and all we can do now is wait for rescue. Marjolaine and I make her comfortable on a mattress from one of the bunks, and I proceed to wash her legs from dirt and scratches, killing hundreds of sandflies in the process. With my tiny bit of French, I find out she went away from the hut looking for cell service. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, that's mistake number one. You should always stay put and wait for help, especially if there's a cozy and safe hut where other hikers are going to come. She also brought no first aid with her, had no tent and only a little bit of food and water, yet stayed out in the forest last night. Oh, nuts. Second mistake. Also third, fourth, and fifth. You should take extra food and water. You should take a shelter and some rudimentary first aid when out in the wilderness. And then she adds, no one knows she's here. Okay, that's about the sixth mistake? Well, there's no sense in making her feel worse, we wash her legs, we get her comfortable, and we hear a helicopter on its way. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, the P-RAG shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-RAG podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky should be in your hands. And Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching foot-massaging socks for the long haul. I gotta say that I've been incredibly lucky on this trail, the Te Araroa. Blessed, gifted, charmed, whatever word you want to use. I feel some power providing for my needs as I navigate the rough and varied terrain that pushes me to my physical limit, as well as manage the psychological challenges of taking on something this huge. I rolled my ankle in the first few weeks of the hike, but somehow managed to work my way past it, and I'm walking just fine, and it's about day 90 now. I haven't fallen, I haven't slipped or hurt myself, just really pushed hard. Tomash and Alessio entered this drama right on cue and were true to their word, sticking close by when things got tricky. We made it up to Goat Pass right before the rain came and left us in a whiteout, And it's only a short day to Arthur's Pass with some river crossings, so we'll see how we do getting out of here. Arthur's Pass, or Harters Posse as Alessio calls it, is about one-third the way down New Zealand's South Island and west of Christchurch in the heart of the Southern Alps. We had a fabulous day yesterday walking up the Deception River to get to this Alpine hut, but now it's right back down in rain gear, The trail a rock-filled stream with several chicken-wired boardwalks placed over wet areas. It's certainly easy at first, cruisy actually, until the first river crossing. The anticipation turns out to be greater than the reality. Yes, I step on stones with gallons and gallons of water pouring over fast and furious, but I have the gist of how to step in balance on the big rocks, and just move through. What does challenge me though, are the downhill portions over slippery roots and slanting rocks that dive down like a roller coaster. I touch these roots like well-greased handles and slowly lower myself. Then I shoot right back uphill, trying to make up for my careful stepping, as Alex follows, politely allowing me to go first. The familiar feeling of being a burden returns, and I dwell on what Alex says, something to the effect of, guiding a middle-aged lady was not what I signed up for. But then I tell myself something a very wise person once told me. What people say about you is none of your business. (laughs) It's a funny axiom that at first seems to mean, mind your own affairs, But after some contemplation, I realize it's more about not trying to control people. Just be who you are. Act with integrity and let them develop whatever impression they choose. And furthermore, Alex doesn't have to walk with me if he doesn't want to. We go up and down and cross side streams and hop over boulders sheared off the sides of high mountains, their summits beginning to appear as the sky clears. Alex and I talk about his work in wineries and his free lifestyle, three years away from his home of Florence. He tells me he likes to walk with people and sometimes to walk alone, but he's pleased we stuck together. Okay, whatever. He also tells me he can always pick out the American hikers. They carry small backpacks and are in such a hurry, he says, they make no time to stop and talk. Wow, I hate to think that I'm in a big hurry. I like that I went really far on some days on this thru-hike for a variety of reasons, like avoiding a group of ten hikers, or positioning myself for good weather, and at least I think I do it for me and not to be the fastest or the strongest middle-aged woman on the trail. We arrive at a boulder-strewn riverbed four crossings of the braided Beeley River, and then the highway across train tracks. And just like that, this section ends. Tomás and Alessia walk the six kilometers off trail to Arthur's Pass, where our resupply boxes await pickup, and I get a ride in a vintage Chevy, the man on his way home from a car show in Christchurch. He definitely wants my pack and sticks in the boot to protect his pristine interior and refuses to take on any other riders. He gets me to the dock office, and there's a package for me from Will, including a note that he'd like me to deliver to his best friend who just happens to live in White Bear, Minnesota. There's also a card telling me to remember, no one has walked a step for you. It's funny, Alessio actually tells me the same thing. Well, I immediately begin calling motels and hostels for a place to take a break. But everything is full due to a race. Must have been those runners we saw on the Deception River. So I make a call to my friends Steve and Nelson on the off chance he knows someone in this area. Ten minutes later, Jane calls me offering the use of her batch for a few nights. She graciously allows me to include Alessio and Tomáš who saw me through these last days. So after a big meal in town, we make ourselves at home in this cozy, comfy 1950s bungalow with a wood stove and a long drop. Music is playing, and we cook up dinner of eight packages of noodles, and then wash them down with strong Czech liquor that Tom has squirreled away in his resupply. <laughs> Tomorrow, the weatherman promises rain all day, and I'm gonna sleep through it on a well-earned zero day. You're listening to The P.R.A.G. Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. Through sharing my stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo, middle-aged female hiker, I hope I can empower you to learn to hike your own hike, too. You can subscribe to The P.R.A.G. wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate it and review it. That really helps other people discover the podcast. I spend most of my Zero cuddled in bed reading while the rain hits the windows sideways. Tomash leaves in the morning and walks right into the rain, and I'm pretty certain I'll never see him again. Alessio and I close up the batch the following morning, pack up and head to the road by 7 a.m. to hitch rides, me back to where I left off two days ago since Arthur's Pass is not on the trail, and Alex to Christchurch, where he needs to return to work. My ride is immediate, one of those massive two-cargo trucks driven by a guy named Tom of the Missing Front Teeth. He explains that the road was only recently rebuilt. It used to be one lane, and truckers needed to radio ahead. Some would forget, and then they'd come face-to-face with another truck, and one would have to back up on these narrow, windy roads. Still, most bridges are on one lane and require taking turns. The ride is short but smooth, and when I thank Tom, he gives the usual Kiwi, that's all right, an even more laid-back form of no worries. I'm alone again, walking on the road to begin the next section, one fairly short and reasonably straightforward. The crossings of the Harper River on this side of the Divide will be numerous, but likely not flooded and scary. The mountains come into view behind me, so I turn around every so often, seeing them grow, capped with glaciers. I realize that today is January 29th, and the beginning of my fourth month walking. I suddenly feel an urgency to finish, and a nagging insecurity that I can't keep going. I am tired and my feet are complaining, and I know I need to rest more. It is an odd place for me to be because I want to get there, but once I do, it's over. Am I really ready for this to end? A man with binoculars is parked on the side of the road, and I ask him if he'll take my picture. He obliges and then tells me he's finding rare endemic birds, a tern and black-tipped gull that I see soaring on the river terrace. I turn up a country lane that takes me to a track and past Beely Hut, where Marjolaine and Floris are packing up. I hoot a high, and they wonder why I'm hiking so early in the morning. The trail goes up and up in the forest, native mixed with exotic, dark and cool. It's steep, but again, reasonably so, compared to what I've just done. Finally, I'm on the tussocky top, where the view opens right up, huge mountains down to the sprawling riverbed. Below my feet are tight-to-the-ground plants and deep reds. Apparently, this color helps them manage the harsh cold. I meet three friendly kiwis on this saddle, who move on quickly while I linger with my mountains before re-entering the forest. I stop often, taking in more food and orange drink before reaching a cute A-frame shelter. Boy, I could simply sleep right here on this tiny shelf. But I move on, hoping my feet hold up. I cross the river over and over, and then a massive landslip like a rock avalanche, dirt and rock pouring into the forest and stream. It's very careful stepping here as I dislodge rocks that crash below me. At a tiny, run-down shelter, I see in the hut book that Amelia from day one dislocated her shoulder and was evacuated from here. (laughs) But she's already back on trail a day ahead of me. Eventually, a bridge takes me across to the Hamilton Hilton, a lovely sprawling hut, where I arrive in time for a first-story bunk. The ambience is super relaxed. The Kiwis, two Dutch and an Englishman, plus Jill from the other night, and a German who calls himself the Cheese Man. I cook a late lunch, and we talk about the state of the trail. English Adam saying he prefers the tough challenge to maintain trail. Well, for me, it's a matter of degree. Challenge is great, but poorly designed trail is another thing altogether. Would Amelia have taken such a fall on a U.S. trail? I'd love to know the statistics. We leave it unresolved as I take a short side trip up to Mirror Tarn. From here, the view is superb down the valley, and I sit for a long time above the Harper River the bridge far below at the bottom right edge of a bit of land pushing out like a snout from the mountain. Likely it's an ancient landslip, now covered with trees, and forcing the river to bend to its will and around it. The river is gray braids, though only one stream comes through, with evidence of others so impatient to be first. They dug their own channels last spring. Now only an indentation remains. Stones give way to tawny meadow, a few tree pioneers staking their lonely claim. Except for draped sheets of faded grass on the slopes, the mountains look like enormous piles of gravel, exfoliating in V-shaped sifts, stained black and red. Mirror Tarn is an algae-rich pond, but lovely in its stillness, seemingly pondering what towers above her. The sky is gray except for a strip of baby blue. The trail here is steep and also eroding, sand and rocks washed away. One false step, and I'll tumble hundreds of feet down. Which is pretty much what happened to the poor French woman. Badly shaken and crying, she doesn't have a head or spine injury, and nothing appears broken. Her name is Lorraine, and she thanks me over and over for taking care of her. The helicopter comes quickly, first landing below near the river, then maneuvering up next to the hut so she doesn't have far to go. It's strange that she didn't stay in the hut since it's high season, and there will always be people coming and going. Maybe she thought it was private or off-limits to her. Odd. The others watch the helicopter lift, then lean over and turn away, the blades whipping the air like a tornado. They're oddly detached. They appear to blame her for her predicament. I agree that she did not make good choices, but a fall like that could have happened to any of us, and I identify with her traveling alone, not always sure how things work or what to do when there's a problem. And that's especially difficult if you don't know the language. After they go, we settle into the evening. A jigsaw puzzle is found and a few begin turning over the pieces and building the frame. I like the relaxed nature of this crowd, so different from the previous days. Flores tells me they hardly plan each day, so tend to miss the weather windows, whereas I push hard to get them and thus walk up rivers and over passes that they missed. He's more sanguine than I, telling me those that go fast just get it over with faster. Well, there's a good point for that in these coming weeks, to take time and enjoy, because before I know it, I'm going to be done with this hike. And I'm not quite ready to be done yet. And I'm definitely not ready to push so fast that I fall and hurt myself. Thanks to Lucky Trekking Poles and Belega Socks for supporting the PRAG podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review the PRAG at Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about my long walks on the Te Araroa, as well as the PCT and other trails all around the world. It's up at my website, theprag.com. And the music you're hearing, the flute playing, that's me from many, many years ago. You can find the music on iTunes. Next week, I walk toward the first hazard zone, the massive and impassable Rakaia River. But then I meet trail angels who become friends for life. Until then, my friends, kiakaha and happy trails.